Hi, and welcome back to Voices. This is episode 10 of Voices. This is Occupy <laughs> Asylum, <laughs> which is oh so appropriate here on so many levels. We'll have a link to that where that word comes from. Uh, the root word to it is sanctuary, and that fits uh, on several different levels. Our guest here is, uh, first off, you're new to the show. Red Star, you were part of Occupy Auckland. Say hi, please. Sure, uh, really, really, really happy to be here. Thank you very much for this uh, privilege. It's great having you here. Uh, and and our, our guest for this show, again, is returning. This is your third show with us. Plus, you've done analysis on uh, on a really crucial show that we did. Please say hello, Susie. Hi. Thanks for having me, Terry. <laughs> okay. We've got a lot to cover and not that much time to cover it in. So let's just get this show on the road. Um, there was a news uh real short news blurb in scoop.nz uh, saying that you were having to file for temporary asylum, political asylum in Russia, and I haven't heard anything since that in the last five days. Susie, what is going on? Um, well, that's correct, Terry. I have applied for temporary asylum in Russia, um, and it seems that I'm the first Kiwi journalist or the first New Zealand journalist to, to do so. Um, as you know, and as most people who follow my work know, I have been pretty severely targeted by various intelligence agencies over the last few years, um, and I went into exile. I had to leave New Zealand because of it in early 2015, and unfortunately that targeting of me continues, and there has been some recent developments over the last few months that seem to indicate that I was one of 88 New Zealanders who were not only illegally spied on by the New Zealand spy agencies, but that they then took our personal data and sent it to the NSA, where PRISM was used against us. It's the NSA in Hawaii in 2012. Um, there is also several really worrying law changes that are happening in New Zealand, um, which could really endanger myself and my two young children who are with me. So I have been forced to apply for asylum because this is the first place that I've found in the last two years where I have been safe and am not being harassed and stalked and hurt. Um, about four so I'm really grateful for that opportunity. People that are new to uh, the Occupy, what was going on against us. There was a news blackout. Uh, we all had to start covering the news ourselves. And I, I, just to kind of give people an idea, uh, Red Star, can you kind of tell us you were you were the head of your media team in Occupy Auckland? And mm. what was what, how did Susie get started with this? Have you seen this kind of harassment? Have you? Yeah, no, I have. I have uh, basically what happened here, which is what happened all around the world, is that uh, you know the media just pretty much blacked out our message, which you know, we had to really counter. Um, so the team that we assembled was of up to around 24 people, um, all committed to the cause, and Susie was no different. Uh, Susie, I remember she came rocking into our media centre on the second or third day that we'd set it up. Uh, we're running on the smell of an oil rag, literally, um, and she came in like bearing gifts of uh, computer peripherals and from that point on she was a very 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 central um, member of our team um, in terms of harassment what happened to us is uh, probably not too dissimilar you know because the state always wants to take the mouthpiece of any movement um, personally I was harassed I'd be uh, picked up at will by the police interrogated uh, harassed um, even when I had my son which is not very cool and a few other things as well Another one of our media team members, uh, she pretty much lost her house, uh, had her dog taken off her, impounded, faced jail time, harassment by the police. Um, another one of our media team members was, uh, he actually identified when we got evicted uh, the fact that several police officers were wearing the same CID, which is the police you know, identification badge, and he really pushed this story out along with that. Um, he lost his house, lost uh, had you know his relationship and was then also put into uh, like a custodial position within a hospital. Uh, what I saw with Susie is that um, she was targeted, she was followed, she had uh, private investigators uh, uh, coming after her, she was trailed, um, communication list just went on and on and on. And, you know, I remember later on in the piece, uh, there was a huge event, you may or may not remember this, it was basically called the Moment of Truth. It was uh, run by the Internet Party and Kim.com and basically they were coming out swinging against uh, our current government and the GCSB which is the uh, national spy, sort of uh, it's part of Five Eyes and Echelon. 
and saying that you know uh, New Zealanders are being spied on illegally. So uh, they broadcast uh, Joanna Sands speak over live stream and also would know that. So that very night, uh, Susie had been you know, really concerned that she was being targeted and harassed. So she came and sought refuge with me because it was a safe space. Um, she actually did an interview that night with Perthstones, another blog, and I remember I remember quite clearly that you know things were going awry, and it wasn't the first time I'd seen it. Um, the whole time during you know our sort of uh, first few months to a couple of years um, of knowing Susie, she was never really one to stand up and be like, look at me. You know, always just hide from the camera if I was live streaming. Uh, always made me do all the interviews, which I didn't mind because I loved playing with the mainstream media. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it was, I mean, this, this, is, this is just how it is. And, you know, so I've never seen her as being a person wanting or seeking attention. It's just the way that things have come full circle is that she's had to really um, fight for her freedom. Simple. And she's had to come out and go, I'm here. I'm doing this. I need we're to about, be safe. We're about eight minutes into the show. Susie's first involvement with us on Occupy America, which is what Voices used to be called, uh, was we put out a show called Occupy Coin, stands for counterinsurgency, um, where military and the private sector used against private citizens, basically a form of warfare being used against private citizens. Uh, part of the, the biggest part of counterinsurgency is based on information control, and that's what we want to get into here for the next 12 minutes. <clears throat> Can you tell us about information control, um, the harassment that you see? There are three components to information control. They work on counter ideology, they want to change how you think. They work on counter-sanctuary, they want to make you feel not safe, and they work on counter-motivation. Perhaps they're not as concerned with what you think or what your ideas are as long as you don't act on them. The key word is motive, move. Uh, what are your thoughts, guys? Where, what have you seen as far as information control? I think um, one of the reasons that um, I was aggressively targeted, I mean, there's many of them, but one of them is because my house became a place of refuge for um, occupiers and for media team members. Um, I now find myself in a situation where I have to ask for help. But it used to be my home that people would come to when they had nowhere else, and it used to be me running around trying to help everyone out and advocate for everybody. And I think that um, they there was a very clear agenda to make me have to sell my house, make me lose my house, because then that would deny us a place of sanctuary. Um, yeah, I would as agree far with that. Different... Go ahead, Red Star, you started to say something? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I saw it uh, very, very directly with what happened. Um, and, you know, it was it's a very, very, very evil how the powers that they do this, because realistically, we work, we live, and we try and provide for ourselves and our family. And when we get home after our slave-riven job for some hideous corporation, getting paid shit wages, all we want to do is have a safe space. So when when the state sees someone that is to put their head above the rest of the pack, they, of course, will target that safe space. And I've had it happen to a lesser or greater extent, and Susie's definitely had it happen to a, lesser, to a greater extent, and it's absolutely immoral. Um, from my point of view, you know, in terms of information, from our little island in the South Pacific, we're really pushing, uh, punching above our weight. We're really getting out the stories to the international media that they wanted, they wanted to hear. And like people like RT would run uh, with stories that Susie was pushing you know, through our channels and through her own channel. And that really freaks out the establishment. And, you know, theoretically this and possibly directly, absolutely, this is one of the many reasons why Susie has been targeted. And it's fundamentally wrong. We need whistleblowers. They're trying to contain to us. Absolutely. They're trying they to contain keep, the information. They want to keep us within prisons of our own minds and our own paranoia and fear. And, you know, we all know that we're stronger together rather than being alone and being afraid. And they want us to be alone and they want us to be afraid. So then we shut up. And that's just never going to happen. There's a word that gets thrown around a lot, panopticon. We'll have a link to that. And the key principle to the panopticon was that just the possibility that you were being observed will change your behavior. Any thoughts on that, y'all? I absolutely agree. Um, in New Zealand, we are in a very highly permissive surveillance 
state. We've had uh, monitoring of everything for a long, long time. And from the period between, I'd say, 2009 till now, especially during and after Occupy, we saw levels of um, interference, we, uh, rise. We saw the levels of, uh, you know, sort of valence, like through CCTV, everywhere rise. We, we would get stalked by people taking our photos while we're eating dinner. I remember quite clearly sitting with Susie having a casual dinner. <laughs> Very and being photog- <laughs> photographed, you know, for, and we were laughing at the time. But, you know, I don't think at that point we realised what it meant moving forward. And here we are. In it escalated. It really it escalated. Does. Like, in 2011, you know, we, we had, like, we, we just thought it was, like, you know, maybe some cops or maybe some undercover cops, like, looking for some low-level crime. We didn't really have any idea. Like, when we, I remember us getting followed around by Auckland transport vehicles and other media team members complaining that they were being harassed and accosted by people from the council and from Auckland transport. And we still just thought that it was, like, local-level, you know, harassment. Um, but then when my house started getting broken into, and there was disturbances in my home over and over again and then the private investigators stalking us, you know, it seemed to ramp up a little bit and we're like, okay, well maybe these guys are just being hired by the council. But when things started to get really crazy was after the Kim.com FBI raid and Mm. about that time I started to write about, I was blogging about FBI and blogging about CIA, blogging about um, a lot of these agencies and then uh, things started to get even more and more severe and as it came out later in that year that there had been some spying by the GCSB on Kim.com then we started to realize that hey these spy agencies are up to no good and we started to really focus on the domestic spy agencies and by the it was at the end of that year or just a couple months later that um I was publicly doxxed information about myself and my kids, our address, our phone numbers were posted all over the internet. I went to the cops and they refused to do, they outright refused to do anything about it. They didn't even just refuse to do anything about it. They actually said to me, because you're an activist, this is happening to you. And as long as you're an activist, this is going to keep happening to you. Through 2013, we were building the GCSB movement. The mainstream media who had ignored and ridiculed us to that point um, had to get on board because it got to the point where our audience was so large and where we were getting this information out so far and wide that they had to acknowledge it or they were literally going to be obsolete in New Zealand. So, And also because we had been really personally calling them out on an individual basis, the journalists who had been lying and uh, mirroring us and our movement. Um, so those journalists decided that it was better for their career to get on board and cover those issues than it was to have these results about them on their Google searches that they didn't like. And all of a sudden the tide changed and we had mainstream covering these issues five days a week at prime time. And at that coming point it became... And yeah, and, and we're... Begging for like commentary begging after months if not years of lambasting and you know like so just belittling us I mean you may not remember this Susie but there's a popular sort of comical show here in New Zealand called John and Ben right yeah, they of course, I know turned him. up yeah, well the audience but they came to our camp and they tried to lambast I pushed back and that really freaked them out and that was the beginning of it, of us really pushing back and you know it was absolutely remarkable how they then further down the track were coming and begging us begging and ripping off our, our content and not even fighting us you know, I mean about, this is just the way about three minutes left in this section uh, we're at 17 minutes or so into the show you mentioned the moment of truth and it, uh, as far as I could tell New Zealand was further ahead have actually turning this into a election success uh, a lot of votes uh, <laughs> a massive amount of votes percentage wise uh, can you kind of talk about what the moment of truth was the moment of truth was an event with Snowden Greenwald and Assange and Kim.com as um as Red Star explained before, um, there was a, in the year leading up to it, the formation of the Internet Party, which was Kim.com's political party, which was an attempt to harness some of the millennial and progressive support. Um, and they got into an alliance with the Mana Party, which was the indigenous movement in New Zealand. And um, they only had about, I think, six or seven months of campaigning before the election, but they were becoming a force to be reckoned with. 
And we threw our weight behind them because they were political outsiders, because we needed some change in our country that was pushed us past like the standard status quo party. Um, and this is in the direct wake of the GCSB movement. So there was something that came out in late 2013 called the Kitteridge Report, was leaked to the public, and that was um, that report contained information that it was not just Kim.com who was illegally spied on by the GCSB, it was in fact 88 New Zealanders at least that were illegally spied on by the GCSB. And we including know thanks to, well. including journalists, that's, tr that's true, journalists, it was acknowledged that it's including journalists. So um, a couple of months ago, I think, or actually September of this year, The Intercept and in conjunction with a famous Kiwi journalist Nikki Hargett um, released the name of the first of the 88 citizens and they confirmed in that article that those citizens' personal data were passed to the NSA in Hawaii. Um, so that was really an aggravating factor. But, so 2013 we had the GCSB movement and things were getting very, very hot. But in 2014 in the lead up to the Snowden event, and the, which was also in the lead up to the general election, that's where things just got pure crazy. And there were, there were days many days actually in 2014 where I didn't expect to make it through the day or through the week. I mean, I'm sitting here now not knowing if I'm going to have a country in six weeks' time to live in, but there were days in 2014 where I honestly did not expect to see the light of day in, in that week. I remember that very clearly. Um, I remember talking with Susie at great length about this and her coming to me because I had a safe space for her and it was absolutely harrowing for her but it was absolutely soul-destroying for me seeing one of my best friends go through this and I'll never forgive the powers that be for doing that. For targeting such a beautiful person and a whistleblower, a person of truth and money. It's hard for people to comprehend how much pressure can be brought to bear. So some of the stories, and we're about to segue into the second 20 minutes here, which is Diary, where Susie is documenting what it's like to be a person of interest. Um, again, these stories, if you've never had this done to you, sound like some kind of conspiracy theory, but conspiracy theory is conspiracy fact uh, happening in Canada. It's happening all across the world. I don't know who dropped out. Who's still here, y'all? That was red. I'm still here, Terry. Okay, well, we will keep going here. Um, go ahead, Susie. Can you go ahead and start us off on why did you make a documentary? Uh, why did you do the documentary of uh, Diary of a Person of Interest? Um, so, at the end of 2014, after there had been several overt attempts on my life, um, which I, I document in the documentary um, and which I'd also written about previously. And once the ruling government won re-election, there was constant death threats against me and I was told openly if I didn't leave the country that I was dead. So I sold my house and everything and I left New Zealand and I went to Berlin in Germany. Um, and in Germany, I really felt a huge obligation to try to tell people what was happening in New Zealand because I was really conscious about the fact that I got out, but there was other activists still back there facing, you know, the same people. I really felt like the specific individuals that worked for these agencies that were targeting and trying to hurt me, they weren't out of a job just because I left the country. They were still targeting other people and doing that to other people. So I um, went to the Chaos Communications Camp in August and I did a talk there that I'd prepared, which was kind of a chronological retelling of like everything that had happened and trying to explain it in a really cohesive way that people could understand. So I went through like, you know, I think part one, I talked about our media team and what we did and how I got into media. And in part two, I talked about why we were targeted. And I went through the various campaigns from Occupy to Anonymous supporting us to our, our involvement in Kim.com, um, Kim promoting Kim.com situation and um, speaking up against the FBI, the Internet Party and GCSB, to the Five Eyes, which is the Intelligence Sharing Alliance of United States Canada, United Kingdom, Australia and New Zealand to Snowden and Greenwald events and to the TPPA movement, TPPA No Way, which we, we were very heavily involved in promoting for years on end. Um, to various other movements and also my support for WikiLeaks. And then I went right through who does this. So I broke down the state agencies, the various agencies by name, 
and by role and then the private agencies um, because privatized spying and privatized policing is huge this is what we face now is for-profit companies that make money out of targeting us and then I talked about the di different types of people that they target and then how they target us so I broke down like all the methods of physical surveillance that they've used against us and I, I really incorporate like my personal experiences into each of these categories as well which hopefully makes it a bit more real to people and then this, their methods of signal surveillance the public surveillance systems which is like facial recognition and the various um, council and civic infrastructure surveillance systems um, and then I got into like what they actually do to us personally so that's the ways that they harass us and the ways that they isolate us and the way that they sabotage our lives and our belongings and our relationships and our opportunities and our careers and the ways that they entrap us and I talk about some really personal ways that they've had agents um, try to entrap me and the social engineering and then the institutionalization which Red Star touched on earlier when he told you that one of our media team members was actually forcibly hospitalized in a mental hospital to try to discredit him and he is not the only one. Um, discredit exactly and red stars and then I and then I then I covered off the um, specific assassination attempts that I experienced in the lead-up to the moment of truth event um, and then briefly I I finished the documentary with talking about what do they want um, what do they want us to do and what do we learn to do how do we how we learn to combat it, which is basically by responsibly documenting what's happening to us and by telling people what is happening to us because if we cover it up we are aiding the people who are doing this to us so I gave this talk at Chaos Communications Camp like I said and uh, I, I promised or actually Red Star came was with me he actually came to Berlin for that event which was quite amazing it was the first time I'd seen anybody from home in all that time and um, unfortunately conditions there prevented us from live streaming the event so I promised people who had not my supporters who had not got to see it that I would make a video version so this documentary is really me taking that talk that I did at the camp and turning it into something that anyone around the world can watch and hopefully learn from Red Star you're remarkable. still here yeah no I'm here. You, I'm here. You've you've actually seen the documentary and you were there when it was shot. Uh, can mm -hmm. you uh, witness, bear witness that this is hard for people to believe who have never had mm -hmm. this done to them? But you've actually yeah. seen what Susie is talking about, correct? Yeah, and I've seen it. I, I um, you know, watching, you know, being part of that was, was very, very, very hard for me. Um, not because I experienced as much as Susie did, but personally. But um, because it was like, you know, picking a scab, um, a scab that hasn't healed, you know, it's festering. And it's really remarkable for people that, you know, are living in their safe little, little bubble, you know, paying their bills, going to work and stuff to hear that. And it's the reality of the situation. You know, I mean, we watch these movies like about these, uh, you know, espionage spies and stuff and it's all fanciful and all bright lights and pretty images. But it's real. It's happening and it's going to continue to happen until we all start really challenging and it's important we're, that we do things like that to do so. We're about you guys know that the Will Smith the movie? Do you know the Will Smith movie, Enemy of, Enemy of the State? Yes. Yeah. I remember watching that I remember watching that like what six or eight or ten years before I became an activist and I remember thinking like like you just say like yeah this is a great spy movie spy thriller movie but so much of what is in that movie is exactly what happened to us like yeah. the credit like how his credit cards get cut off like over and over again my credit cards would just be cut off for no reason my bank account you know my bank would mess with me over and over again especially in the wake of that legislation that they passed um, mm -hmm. that they they think enables them to do that um, I would have I would find things like like um, like cuts in the bottom of my shoes and um, things sewn into the seams of my clothing and like just completely insane things and I would be constantly sent this stream of um, regurgitated narrative that it had happened in my house with various people just they were just trying to let me know that they were listening you know I was having to be constantly aware of the facts like everywhere in my house in the car inside my house outside my house that everything I was saying was being heard, I was being watched at all times. Um, I had like the interior ceiling of my house painted 
and then like little holes would appear in my ceiling just randomly all over. I used to actually it's so sad like I used to go and stick chewing gum in them or like pick up sticks <laughs> honest to god because I'm like there's, I, there's like one it. day my ceiling one day my ceiling has no holes in it and then the next day there's these little like holes in it I'm like what the hell is going on honestly and my lawyer actually said to me the other day and I thought it was such a good point he said to me any one thing that happened to you can be explained but all of it cannot be like this has been like there's just dozens of incidents you know I talk in the movie I talk about um, how they tried to drive me and my children off a cliff at night in um, Northland in a place called Dome Valley I will know where that is it's a really it's a um, blackout area where there's no mobile coverage and it's a cliff top like it's a windy road and it was dark and at night and I was coming back actually from visiting one of our media team members who had also been really heavily targeted. Um, and I was, that incident, we were so close to literally being driven off a cliff that night that I, whenever I went to visit that media member again, I would literally call her before I entered the valley and call her immediately after I exited the valley just because to so that someone would know, you know, I'm going into this blackout, I will call you as soon as I'm coming out of it. And it, that that's the kind of terror that we would have to face. Like, I would literally not know if I was going to make it to the other end of my journey or not. And, and it's just so unbelievably extreme. And when I was being targeted inside my home, I would go out into the city and I would ring that I would call that same media team member and I'd say I'm being targeted I'm going on to trapwire and that was like our code word that was like the code word that meant like I'm going into the city where I'll be on public surveillance because I discovered that they were less inclined to harm me when I was in a public space that was that had surveillance cameras than they were in my house where they were the only ones controlling the cameras. Um, so in a really strange, in a strange way, that became sanctuary for me. What pieces of this can you confirm that you personally saw? And we will have links that the, you guys are not the only ones reporting this. When they try to make you look like you're crazy, that's called gaslighting. Uh, Ernest Hemingway used to, he was basically portrayed as paranoid because he thought he was being followed by the FBI. It was just released through historic records that uh, he wasn't paranoid. He was being watched by the FBI. It led to his suicide, there's no doubt. Um, go ahead, Red Star, please. Uh, yeah, no, I can I can confirm all of this. Um, I saw it personally when I was uh, cruising around with Susie. Um, I remember uh, you know, going over to house and like we'd literally just gone out, like down the road, to like a you know a Seven Eleven or Dairy whatever to get something and um she had left her phone there and we got back and phone was gone. You know, the, oh yeah. They just they just like add up add up over the time you know and at the time I was like you know at the time I was like oh yeah whatever you know but I'm pretty pragmatic um but you know like now uh, just the sheer amount of it it was just like whoa okay okay this is they would steal my phones over and over again it was the kind of craziness of the level of interference that we're that we were um facing and it's, it's not remarkable it's designed it is by design to make you a question your sanity and b if you try to tell these stories gaslighting is so that People won't believe what you're saying if you can't disprove anything. I just make two points there. Sorry, Please. sorry to interject, but I just want to just make two points. One is that none of the activists that I work with, or or any of the political figures, have ever disbelieved what happened to me, because to some degree it's happening to all of them. So the only people who really disbelieve or profess disbelief for this are people who are not activists or not in the political sphere at all. Or, um, or who are informants who are paid to try and discredit me by saying, you know, she's making up or what, she just wants to be famous or whatever they, mm. they come up with. But the other thing that I would like to point out is that the, there are people who hold mountains more evidence than even I do as to what has happened to me. And that is the spy agency. They know everything that they have done to us. And they have God knows how many hours of tapes of us talking to each other about this in real time as it was happening. You know, me on the phone to my media team members saying, this happened to me today, this happened to me yesterday, you know, and, and them talking about their experiences. So I have no doubt that the government is going to come out and attempt to smear me, 
But at the end of the day, they know exactly what they have done to me, and they hold the proof. Very true. Uh, that, the, uh, that, that is an excellent point, that, that those of us who have had this done to us know it doesn't sound crazy. You know it's happened to you. Uh, and, and another key point here is it's happening to more and more people while worldwide every single day. There was just a news story out of Canada documenting uh, this is going on to journalists, to politicians, to... Did anybody else see that article? There'll be a link to it here. No, I didn't see that. Nope. Uh, we'll have a link to it. That's the nice thing about the internet is we can let you see what we're talking about so you can make your own decisions. Uh, we are not the only ones saying this. It is documented worldwide. Um, there was a member of... Uh, you were... You were targeted uh, by our FBI. Um, they they sent an informant who's pretty famous. Is is that correct, Susie? Um, if you're referring to Sabu, yeah, that was definitely one of the stranger experiences of my life. <laughs> oh, can you please elaborate to a little bit on least. that? Yes, I'm um, sure. I mean, I, I wrote an article about it. Um, we'll link I wrote it. an article about it called Suits, Suits, Spooks, and Sexual Predators, what Sabu really got up to with the FBI. And, you know, this really ties back into what I was just saying about they hold the proof. You know, the FBI have the log. They have the footage of everything that they did to me. There's... There's no greater source of evidence of what was done than the FBI. But, of course, they don't want people to know that they get up to these kinds of depraved things. So, sure enough, they don't let that evidence come to light. But, in short, a very famous FBI informant, infamous FBI informant, um, targeted me. And he targeted me by pretending to be somebody who I had talked with on the net for years and years and years and years. Well before, years before I ever became an activist. And... Um, he did so explicitly to get into a relationship with me and he wanted to know about articles that I had written where the, about the, um, an a flash occupation that had happened at the High Court in Auckland that I had documented um, and where the High Court had actually recently found Occupy Auckland not guilty of a case that had been brought against us by the council. Because the funny thing about the situation is that everything that we did is actually legal, completely legal. It's not only legal, it's a protected democratic practice. Freedom of assembly, freedom of expression, freedom of association, um, the right to dissent, the right to seek redress. This is all enshrined in, in our law and in our democracy. And so the people who are up to no good and are acting illegally are these agents. It is the state. So when they pin anything on us, they attempt to entrap us. And this guy, Sabu, this is what he does, or what he did. He attempted to entrap multiple people, and he's the reason that some very well-known activists, including Jeremy Hammond, are in jail still to this day. So I was extremely lucky in the sense that he only had his claws into me for probably two months or three months by the time that it was leaked to me that this person who I was talking to was actually an FBI informant. And at that point, I was able to cut all contact with him before he had managed to do too much damage to my life. How did he get... It, it is... Uh, these guys are good. And, and I mean that in a professional sense. I mean, this guy impersonated somebody that you knew well enough that you didn't know you were talking to a complete stranger. And this is documented, too. Uh, what is the final status uh, what happened to Sabu that's on the record? We'll have a link to it. I think a lot of what's on the record about him is not true. Um, they've manufactured a fairy tale around him. Um, they tried to make him out to... One of the reasons I wrote the article is because they were trying to make him out to actually not be such a bad guy after all. And they were trying to I angle for him to get... FBI. They were trying to angle for him to get speaking positions on the speaking circuit. And to, to they're trying to redeem like his character, you know, despite the fact that they're really amazing whistleblowers languishing in jail because of him and I really I took offense to that and they were trying to make out like it was all in the interests of national security and whatnot but it absolutely wasn't and what he was doing to me is proof of that because he was actually engaging in sexual activity as part of what he was doing to me and it came out that I was not the only one that that was happening to him with so there's as far as I'm concerned there's no public mandate there's no law which allows them to do that like there's no law that says that you can trap people having sexual contact with you in the pursuit of um, law enforcement Restaurant, it's a despicable 
it's a despicable practice. What are you seeing? What are your thoughts? What did you actually see? Mm, Back us I up remember, here, please. <clears throat> I remember, you know, because thankfully and fortuitously, um, I'm very, very, very close to Susie. So of course we talk, you know, it's friends do, and I remember um, Susie telling me, oh, I've met, you know, reconnected with this person, um, and I was like, yeah, cool, and apparently he was going to come here, and it was all going to be good, and then it all sort of uh, came out that it wasn't quite the same, and that was really cruel, really cruel, and that's just another way that the state play on emotions and manipulate, and it's awful, it's disgusting. And I, you know, like again, being privy to it, being party of it, it's just another one of the very cruel, malicious things that have happened. And it's inexcusable. We've got about 15 minutes of the show left. Uh, counterinsurgency again is based on information control. They have to control information. Uh, there is a war on reporters. There is a war on whistleblowers. Can we talk about that for the last few minutes we have left here? Any thoughts? I think there's definitely a war on journalism. Um, like we touched on earlier, I think it was about containment because um, my reach was getting too big and I was being followed by people with audiences that were exponentially bigger than me. And I mean, by 2000, late 2013, early 2014, um, I was doing Twitter for TPPA No Way along with another, yet another member of our media team. And um, we pushed the hashtag to number two trending worldwide. Um, and for New Zealand actions to have that level of exposure was pretty much a nightmare for the government. And our movements were all in direct opposition to current United States policy. And our Prime Minister is a United States vessel. That's the only way I can put it, really. He's like a proxy power for the United States. So the United States were pushing... I was shocked. He's a member of the... Yeah. He's a member, was a member of the New York Federal Reserve, which is one of the biggest Federal Reserve's most important and historic Federal Reserve banks in the United States. So, um, so the United States was all about the pivot to Asia, and that's including New Zealand and South Pacific. They were all about the TPP, and we were opposing the TPP. They were trying to extradite Kim.com, and we were supporting Kim.com. They were trying to pass USA Freedom Act and UKIP bill and Aussie Data Retention Act and New Zealand. GCSB bill and we were opposing the GCSB bill. The government was trying to push asset sales. We were opposing asset sales. Um, it just the list goes on. We were sta we were standing in the way of absolutely everything that they were trying to do to our country. And I was the conduit to the international media and to getting to breaking the information out of New Zealand and getting it into the global sphere. And I think that that's one of the many reasons that they came down on me particularly hard. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, we were like, as, as Susie was saying, you know, I mean, we're really, really, as we do here in New Zealand, we punch above our weight. It's a national kind of psychological condition. We just have to, I don't know why, but it's absolutely fantastic. And um, we're really pushing the stories out and really building momentum and getting the truth, the, shining the light into the darkest recesses of, of our current government. Um, you know, local and international dealings, and working within the Five Eyes mechanism. Because um, you know we're you know we're a small country, but you know pretty much the anchor of that whole network. I would argue. And we're you know, like the testing ground. We're like we the are. testing ground. Like if you if you look at the chrono the chronology of when the spy bills were being passed, they pushed the GCSB bill first, and that was drafted in Washington. So we have yeah. American drafted legislation being instituted in New Zealand. And then the other similar pieces of legislation, one by one, went across the rest of the Five Eyes. So we were really the spearhead of that. And um, the Moment of Truth event, and when it happened in 2014, um, there had not been too many similar events by that point. Um, and so it was, and it was immediately before, one month before, or less than actually, more like a week before the general election, mm. where it looked like the Prime Minister might actually be able to be toppled. So it was just absolutely high stakes and the other thing too the other aggravating factor is that the minister who was in charge of the GCSB of the spy agency at the time that the warrants were signed to send our data to the NSA in 2012 was the Prime Minister of New Zealand the ex-member of the Federal Reserve Prime Minister of New Zealand so 
is if I am one of the 88 who are targeted, okay. as it seems to be the case, then the Prime Minister of my country personally signed off on the warrant that allowed me to American be targeted citizen? by a foreign country. Did no, he is not. How was he on our Federal Reserve is a question that comes to mind. Again, I, I, I raised this. We'll have to look for the documentation on this, but we just did the show on the money power. Uh, this is a series of shows that we're trying to put together so people understand America is... is <coughs> It's easy to blame America for this, and we do have well, our share of the guilt. But we've been recalled. He, he, he was the only head of state to be named by the Panama Papers whistleblower. Yeah. Um, he was impl implicated through his lawyer in, in the Panama Papers. Um, and he was originally head of foreign, was it derivatives trading? Head of yeah. derivatives trading, I think, um, in foreign exchange for one of the big top um, investment banks. Um, and he was... In, he was he was connected to the Ireland housing bubble and the um, what went on there. Um, so he had an international track record of working for these major banks, and that is how I assume he became a member of the Federal Reserve. Um, when he came to prominence in New Zealand, very few people had actually heard of him, and so he was seen as like the outside candidate against a prime minister who had been in for donkey's years in New Zealand, and he managed to topple her, Helen Clark, and to, to get into power. And uh, pretty much since then, in 2008, our entire country has completely changed. It's changed in environmental policy, it's changed in economic policy, we've now got austerity, we've got massive ramped up defence budgets, we've got the obviously the retroactive legalisation of illegal spying against our own citizens, um, we've now got a homelessness crisis, we've got a child poverty crisis, we have a suicide crisis, you name it, we're going through it. And our country, I, mean, I wrote an article called The Desecration of New Zealand which pulled a hundred different source links about what has happened to New Zealand since 2008. But our country, we cannot even recognize it since he has been in power. We've got about eight minutes left. And, and again, let me bring us back to information control, counterinsurgency. There is a war on reporters. We just did a show two shows ago. Serena Shim was a United States citizen. There's been a news blackout on what happened to Serena Shim. And the upshot is we still don't know and the State Department will not run an investigation. Uh, there was another reporter that is kind of a personal story for me, uh, Gary Webb. I don't know whether you guys are familiar with it. We'll have some links. Uh, but he was not backed up. There was a news blackout on what was being done to him because of the story he broke. And there was actually even a counter story saying he was wrong by the mainstream media. That hasn't, the record's never been corrected. It ended up with him committing suicide. Um, how do we stop this? How do we band together to stop this? Do you guys have any... How do we manage to stop the war on reporters? Is anybody still here? Yeah, I'm, I'm still here. That's good. Are you still here? <laughs> Probably not, but keep going. She'll be back. Uh, what are well, you... my thoughts on this is that um, yeah, we have the tool at our fingertips, literally. Right, so we should really, really use them. We, it's a, we we're in a very strange time currently with... Uh, elements of disinformation and counter-information, echo chamber propaganda being thrown at us. I mean, the mainstream media has learnt our trick. So we need to um, organise them right and put through the counter-counter-counter-narratives that have been thrown against us. So the way that we can do it, I firmly believe, is by information sharing and fact-checking and um, sourcing the, the facts and like holding these people to account, you know, pushing the stories through, challenging the mainstream narrative and like refusing to let uh, the echo chamber drown us out because of this. And it's awful. Just to let you guys know, um, Chris Yong, who is a pretty well-known New Zealander and he was an internet party candidate and is a um, Kiwi rock musician as well of Summer Claim. He is actually my media spokesperson. He too was alongside me through 2014 and he is going to join us in a few minutes. He's still here. Yeah, I'm here. Terry, are you here? I'm still here. Sorry oh, about cool. that. Cool. Uh, <laughs> we're all still here. Uh, the, yeah. uh, how do we stop war on reporters? Is it 
it's open season on reporters, and our colleagues are not reacting. If you oh, that's attack, okay. That's okay. It has to come from the other journalists. If journalists are complicit in it by remaining silent when they're being picked off one by one, then we are screwed. And that's really been the situation today. I mean, what happened to Michael Hastings is a classic example. The fact that the mainstream largely sat quiet through that is just appalling. We still don't know what happened to Michael Hastings. We still don't know what happened to Michael Hastings. We don't know what happened to Serena Shim. We don't know really what happened to Gary Webb. Uh, the, the coroner's report was a uh, finding of suicide. Uh, he shot himself in the head twice. Most remarkable suicide in history. Uh, these stories are not... We have to react. An attack on any single one of us has to be reacted by the entire media. And I don't see that happening. I don't see our colleagues backing each other up, starting with the people on this conversation. Um, any thoughts? Can we amplify? I'm really happy that I'm really grateful for the number of people that have backed me up and that have stood by me um, and for the organizations that have stood by me because there were people who amplified my work. You know, um, quite famously, WikiLeaks and others have amplified my work. Greenworld amplified my work. Kim.com's amplified my work. And I'm really, really grateful for that because that does help to give me some visibility, but also to give the issues visibility when the mainstream blacks them out. So I I think we need to really applaud the organizations and the people who do have the courage to amplify for those of us who are outside the mainstream and we do have to hold the mainstream accountable and just on the Michael Hastings front as well like we say we don't know what happened because technically we don't but if you look at the science it's really obvious that the official story is not what happened if you look at the science of 9-11 it's obvious that there are a lot of questions to be asked there just purely from a scientific perspective um, and even as you say about Gary Webb you know shooting himself twice in the head the, the science there doesn't add up either so regardless of what the mainstream says <laughs> regardless of what the mainstream says the, the science says something different that Again, that's a key point. We may not know exactly what happened, but we do know that the official explanation just doesn't hold. And it, nobody believes this crap anymore. I mean, this last election that we just had, the mainstream media's performance, uh, the only good news to it that I can see is there's a lot more people looking at us independents than there was. Um, any thoughts there, guys? Mm, we are the mainstream media. The independents are the mainstream media now. Uh, by numbers, um, and the audience so is just growing and growing and growing. We need way more of it. Who now? WikiLeaks got fifty-two thousand retweets on a single tweet. Like that must be giving the deep state, uh, you know, paroxysm. Because seriously, like it used to even like Greenwald. I remember when Glenn Greenwald used to get like eighty retweets or a hundred retweets, and then it was two hundred, and then it was four hundred, and now it's like two thousand, four thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, and it just grows and grows and grows. And that is probably the biggest sign of hope, I think, that we have is how much the audience size is growing for alternative news sources. Sounds like Chris just joined us. Welcome aboard, Chris. It's been a pleasure to get to talk to you. Uh, the question before us now is there's a war on reporters, and we were wondering whether, uh, as a candidate for a member of Parliament, weren't you? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, hi there. Uh, hey. so, the question on, so the question was, uh, what are my thoughts on the war on journalists? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah look, I... Um, <laughs> geez, that's, that's, that's a really good question. Where do I even start? I mean, um, look, I think there's a war on actual journalism these days. I mean, look, I, I think there's more than enough examples now when we look at mainstream media, just seeing how biased um, journalism has become in, in the mainstream network uh, to the point that it's pretty much uh, tabloid journalism. So, you know, there are, there are real journalists out there that are investigating stories and doing the groundwork. Um, but, you know, very few of them really get their work recognized and, and get their work um, out there and read. They, they really do have to fight at times. So is there a war on real investigative journalism? I think there is. I would agree 100%. Terry, are you with us? War on Susie. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> the, the war on Susie. You know, that's a, that's a great times, topic, isn't it? How many times have we uh, have we lost our communication signal here? Oh, God. Uh, that is, there's a thing called, uh, I'll have a link to it. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember the name of it, but it, it's uh, linked in the Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., the rules. And one of those rules, like Susie's lawyer was saying, was if it happens once, Maybe it's mischance. Uh, twice, okay, maybe a coincidence. Third time, enemy action. A James mm -hmm. Bond movie was another place that used that. But it's actually quoted in the 
the spy museum. We even have a museum to spies in this country. Let's glorify wow. that, shall we? Any thoughts, guys? We're about out of time. Uh, in our last five minutes, we'd like to get... What What do you have to say, Chris? What do you see? Um, <laughs> mm, repeat the question again, but there's a lot to think about. I, uh, well, we had the, <laughs> we had about an hour to kind of run up on it. We're kind of catching you on a cold start, and I apologize mm. for that. We'll try to get you back on another show, hopefully soon. It would be great to hear your story. Uh, yeah, sure. Not a, not a moment of truth. Uh, what have you seen in the war on Susie? <laughs> oh, the war. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, the war on Susie. Look, um, I've I've known Susie uh, for several years now. I mean, you know, long enough to call her uh, a good friend. And um, I always find that um, everything that she's focused on in her uh, her role in covering journalism, you know, doing a lot of citizen journalism, uh, whatever it is, um, she's always been really um, had a real strong intent and in wanting to just get to the exposing the truth, you know, getting right to the very bottom of it all. And um, look, I, I think she, anyone that tries to expose the truth, they get heavily criticized and attacked. Um, you know, it, it would be a fantastic world if everyone who was honest, people just openly received that, they, they, they read it, they embraced it. The world would be a, a much better place because of it. But um, yeah, look, I, I think Susie's gone through more than her fair share of uh, being persecuted. Um, but, you know, whenever you're dealing with the truth, you're dealing with a lot of people that have been brainwashed to think other things. I mean, we're in a world now where I, I honestly feel like we live in a real world matrix, okay? There really is a blue pill and a, and a red pill. Um, and so, you know, we've, we've got people like Susie that are looking to expose the truth, looking to get the real message out there. But, you know, it's just such a shock to the system that either A, people are, are not ready to, to listen and embrace it, or two, there's agendas to, to cover it up, or, you know, they're just not ready. Um, so the truth, the truth is a hard road to go down. Shot at it with this show, part of a whole series of shows. Uh, Susie, last word to you, please. Uh, we'll have a. Link. I would like to. I'd like to kick it back to Chris. And but Chris, I would. Chris, uh, one of my memories is you driving me, picking me up, and driving me out to the what we called the PM debate, which was where the Prime Minister John Key was. Um, they said it was not a debate. He was not there to debate everybody, but it was sure enough a speaking event with him and a lot of other candidates. And oh, I yes, remember, I remember that. I remember um, you had another one of your friends, or was it another one of the Internet Party candidates with you? I can't remember, but um, they were asking me questions about what was happening to me and me being targeted, and I remember pretty much spilling my guts in the back of the car. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And um, if I remember correctly, I think... Um, our friend that was with us was finding it all very hard to believe that um, that was something that you were going through, which which I think to anyone who hasn't been exposed to that kind of thing, it, it is hard to believe. Until it's happening to her and we don't stop it, it will happen to you. It will happen mm. to me. It will happen to everybody that, that is listening to this show eventually. Uh, please go ahead on, on, on that thought. Um, what did... What what are your thoughts on how do we fix this? How do we stop the war on reporters? How do we stop the war on Susie? Oh, that's a that's a good question. I <laughs> Look, I um I, I think it, it it starts with shows like this. It starts with knowing who your friends are. It starts with uh, people that are united with wanting to share the truth and getting it out there and providing that support to one another to amplify that message. Um, it, you know, it'll be a very rare thing if it starts, you know, in another way. Someone has to be brave enough to, to back someone like Susie to, to share what's going on, to let people know. Um, but then it, it comes from, you know, that amplification building a much more aware community of what's, a, uh, what's going on. I mean, look, that, that, that's my, my guess as, as to what we do. But it all, it all starts with uniting people that are on the same wavelength, who, who believe in that same thing, and getting them to then unite and spread the message. Susie, did you have any other things you wanted, uh, wanted to amplify here? Um, I would just say that, that Chris is pretty much exemplary example. Somebody dropped out. Who's still here? Uh, Chris still is still here. here. Yep. I'm still here. Yeah, Red Stab's still here too. What's up, Chris? Okay, well, uh, Susie, are you still here? <laughs> <laughs> nope. 
<laughs> oh dear! This is like a horror movie. <laughs> this is absolutely like I'm going to be a real busy boy trying to get this one edited. And you're back. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. Not your fault. I'm fairly certain. Um, again, we will have it documented clearly that there <laughs> there seem to be some communication trying to get this show out. A remarkable set of communications problems. I can just imagine the powers that be rubbing their hands at glee to this. But, oh well, smile wave, smile wave. Sorry, what I was just saying is that I think that Chris exemplifies what he was just talking about because Chris is someone who I think, like me, didn't have an activism background, um, you know, prior to coming into this, and um, that was had quite a mainstream profile actually. But he had the opportunity very much to take the red pill or the blue pill, and he did take the red pill. And he's done really impressive and amazing things for our country since then. And I really appreciate that he has, you know, is putting himself on the line and backing me up as well, um, just to speak the truth about what happened. And so what he's saying about the importance of community is really, is really beautiful for me because these guys are part of my community. And I am really lucky. And it ties back to what I was saying before which is that those who've been involved in this stuff, they never doubt me. It's the people who, for whom it's completely outside their experience um, that do. And they do need to understand, like I talk about in the documentary, that with the privatization of spying and with the profit motive now being involved, it can't just be activists that they spy on. It will eventually be every single person. Just the way that we have seen surveillance cameras spread from like one area to absolutely everywhere. The same thing is happening with the spying. And that also ties into uh, the Snowden revelations in the sense that they proved that mass surveillance is spying on everybody. And so there are some people that want to say, oh, you know, it's only if you're targeted that this will be used against you. But they're now making money off this. They're making money off collecting the data and analyzing the data. We see people at football stadiums having their facial profile captured. You know, they're not doing that because those people are targeted. They're targeting every person in that stadium. So this is, this is becoming a danger to everybody. And this is going to touch everybody's lives. And eventually, everybody will be judged by the state based on the data that is captured through the surveillance. Yeah, and I think um, they're, they're trying to kind of minimize it by saying that it's mass collection, which sounds like a very passive thing as compared to mass surveillance, which seems like a very active thing. So when they say, oh, it, it's mass collection, it it's trying to minimize what's really going on, but it, it's all one and the same. And it's happening. Every year yeah. that passes, they find new uses for, for the data that they collect. So them collecting it now, they could use it in God knows what ways in five years' time or ten years' time. And also Snowden just recently in this last week made the point about Trump. You know, Obama has helped to build these systems. Now Trump's going to be the one using them. And that's very, very true. Like, what what are we setting ourselves up for in the future? One of my key arguments when uh, talking about mass surveillance and, you know, the naysayers like, oh, well, if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear. And it's like, well, you know how meter data works. And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, so imagine you're going for that job in six years that you've worked really hard for, you studied really hard for, and then the future society, you're in the interview room and they say, well, Mr. Smith, we see that you used to send a lot of uh, interesting dick pics. You used to look at very interesting websites. So sorry, you're not going to have a job. And that's mm. the reality. And that's what we're fighting against. And, you know, it's more reason why we should rise up. It's more reason why we should be open and transparent because they've got everything anyway. I want to, yeah. I want to interject I think, um, a note of optimism. <laughs> uh, and and I, I find it to be an optimistic thing that, uh, Chris, you were a candidate or member of parliament, correct? Uh, I was a candidate with the Internet Party that um, ran campaign during the New Zealand 2014 general election. Yeah, um, I didn't. I wasn't in Parliament, but I was a candidate running for it. Yeah, a lot of people don't make it on their first try at office, and uh, theoretically, <laughs> or hopefully, you're going to try again and again and again. And people can support you to get voices that are talking the truth out there, where it can actually be put to use in the Parliament. In New Zealand. Um, I don't know who just punched out again, but I think we've got enough for an hour show, guys. Who's still here? Roll call. I'm here. I'm still with you. Right. So, um, in response to the first one, look, you've, you've had a significant role in being able to um, break stories through your work. I mean, you've 
not only uh, started several of your own journalism sites, but your work has been published elsewhere on, on other bigger sites to get the story out. Um, I, I feel you, you're making a tremendous difference to just getting the truth out there on, on a lot of major issues. So your, your work is highly significant in my opinion. Um, and because of that, that's why I, I'm, I'm there for you because, you know, I, I, think, I think we can all be really tired of just the, the propaganda and, and the manipulation and the spin the spinning that happens in day to day. We need good people that are going to actually inform people of the truth. Um, I think probably the hard thing, am I still on? Still here. Yep, you're still here. Okay, I just, I just heard a weird beep and for a moment I thought, uh, oh, I've been disconnected again. <laughs> um, look, we, we, just, we need more people like Susie to just inform, inform the general public and inform people of what's really going on. Um, the truth is something that I feel really um, strongly about, um, and I know uh, I know Susie is a good friend, and I highly respect what she does as a journalist. So that's why I'm there for her, and I want to support her in whatever way I can. Follow up. Hmm. Uh, the significance of your work, as I said, is that you you speak to truth to power. You know, you're the absolutely absolute embodiment of you should always speak the truth, even if your voice shakes. Um, <laughs> I've seen you develop and grow and blossom like a beautiful rose in the desert, and I've been absolutely privileged to be there with you and shoot the shoot um, the proverbial on issues, on moments, on life, on love, on existence, and on the future. Um, you know, I, I I support you 100%. I'd do anything for you, no matter what, and you know that. Um, I think uh, you know, we, are, we are reluctantly or consciously part of a new wave into a brand new, bright, golden, beautiful future. And we are the warriors of the revolution and more power to all of us. So say we all.